Hello, Thrive with Sharon podcast community. This is Sharon Land. I am a holistic psychotherapist licensed in the state of New Jersey, a metaphysician and a healer. And I have been so, so proud of the way that this community has grown. And today I have another incredible guest. Her name is Catherine Gordon. And I would love to introduce you to her. You're going to love her. She has so much to say. But Catherine is the best-selling author of Relationship Grit, and uh, she co-authored that with her husband, John Gordon, and she is also a co-executive producer of The Tiger Rising and is getting ready to launch her own podcast called Catherine For Real. And most importantly, I am so excited that I get to call her my friend. She has been such an incredible person to get to know. And um, I I look forward to the fact that we now our journeys have intersected and we get to know each other more and more and more. So Catherine, I want to give you a warm welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Sharon. I'm so happy to be here. And finally, we get to do this. <laughs> it's 11-11, which is a big deal. And the fact that we're doing it on 11-11 and we've had some difficulties, but we've pushed through and we've done it again. It's 637 and we're making it happen. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Oh my gosh. It's such a, it, yeah, so it is, it's 1111. Um, and that this is the Lionsgate portal basically. So we are literally in a portal, which I think is a great way to segue into our discussion because I really do feel as though we're straddling two different timelines right now, right? And we're really at this uh, amazing opening to this resurgence. And and uh, you know, I really in really reading your relationship grip book, one of the things that I loved and I identify with myself is the fact that you are very much God focused, universe and source focused, very spiritual, but at the same time, you're not tied to any kind of like dogmatic religion or any have tos or rules or whatever it might be. Right. So, like the fact that all of those things kind of weave themselves together into this wonderful place where you and I can have this conversation and talk about things from a position of our highest selves, of our best selves, and that we can also talk about some really real things Mm -hmm. that have helped you to get to where you are now. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Really, really glad that you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, um, my journey, my, my soul journey has been really beautiful. I think, um, you know, in my 20s, I was in a group of women. We had all types. We had the uh, Christian healer and we had people who believed in, I mean, some of them even believed in extraterrestrials. I mean, professors at universities. We had some plastic surgeon. It was a really amazing mix of people And we were led by a woman who was an Ashkenazi Jew who, but she was like, could do automatic writing. She was amazing. She was the most amazing healer. And at 25 years old, I was the youngest one in the group by far. I learned just so much about, um, well, life and about the spiritual realm and that there, 
there's so many beautiful things and me- meanings and symbols, kind of like 1111. Um, and actually, I do have to say, when I met my husband, because 1111, 11 became my favorite number. And when I kind of exposed John to that, he and I connected on those spiritual um, truths and then really were seekers together um, early on. And he wrote his, when he he wrote his first book, Energy Bus, the bus was number 11. And of course it's gone on to be a huge bestseller and, you know, all of that. But yeah, so 11 is, has a lot of meaning for us. And, um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm really grateful. I had such an amazing group of spiritual women. I studied Kabbalah. I studied Buddhism, um, fast forward. My husband ended up becoming a Christian and, um, you know, I kind of, although I was born Christian, born Catholic, I'd say it wasn't like I practiced, but I've been able to learn a lot about the Christian faith from him in a whole new light. You know, but I definitely always, I love the woo-woo, if you want to call it that. <laughs> I uh, And it's funny because, um, and I just connected with this Christian astrologer Ooh. and he did my chart and it blew me away. I'm going to have to connect you with him because I'm going to have him on my podcast. And my husband was kind of like, yeah, okay, let's see about this. And we ended up going to a dinner last weekend and they connected and the whole night we were were in this big table and everybody was sitting across listening to these two guys. And the conversation was amazing. So yes, it's so neat to be able to, to talk on, on that level, on different levels, I guess, to be able to, to go there. Um, Cause I think there's a lot of meaning in all of it really. There is. And I think that the one thing is, is that it really brings us to faith and trust, Mm. right? And when we talk about faith and trust, we're talking about things that we don't necessarily know in a very 3D and concrete way. It's really more a knowing, right? And so when you allow those conversations to guide you and it you, f- you literally can feel on a physical level and also on a soul level, um, this, this kind of this, this acknowledgement of a, mm, right. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's really interesting because I had that experience when we met in person, when you and I were talking and we were talking, I think we started talking about the fact that, um, I don't know who brought it up first, but we have in common that we experienced celiac, right? Right. And, um, so I didn't know until much later on in my life that I had celiac and I had undiagnosed celiac for a long, long time, but it was probably important. Let's tell the listeners what celiac is. I think most people know, but just in case. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an autoimmune disease of your intestinal tract. You are allergic to gluten, which Mm -hmm. be surprising that it's in a lot of things you don't realize. Yeah. 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 And so, and, and the way that it showed up for both of us, which I think is, was, I think the piece for me where I just got that, like that God acknowledgement, you know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. And because both of us, the way that it manifested, wasn't the typical way that it, it manifests in that, um, 
doctors were looking for the signs, you know, so ours really truly did show up as a autoimmune issue in the sense of like flu-like symptoms. And it didn't affect our digestive tract the same way that it typically, you know, at that point, 80% or 90% of people who were diagnosed had presented with. And at that time, you know, at least for me, it was before gluten-free was even a thing, right? Um, so, uh, but the thing that I think after reading the book, um, the thing that I think wove its way in was, was the same, I had that experience and I had that experience when it came to Western medicine in general, Mm -hmm. um, with a lot of my autoimmune issues and a lot of other things that I had experienced, um, where, kept going back and I kept going back and I, I knew that I didn't feel well and I had this knowing, but, and I was doing the right thing, looking Mm -hmm. for acknowledgement. And basically all I was told is, well, you know, you're too weak or you're, you know, there's Mm -hmm. something, it's all in your head. You just need to work with your mind more, you know, or whatever, whatever. Right. Um, and the thing that, Uh, just stopped me in my tracks when I read in your book, Relationship Grit, was the fact that you also, not just with celiac disease, but also with um, an incident with your breast implants, Mm -hmm. had experienced a very similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important for us to like pull that apart a little bit and unpack that because one of the things that I know is, is it's one of the most challenging things to be dealing with something, but it's even more challenging when you don't feel heard and you don't feel understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I was told I was crazy. I was told I was, had postpartum depression. Um, I was told I had fibromyalgia and so the quick backstory is that, you know, I had these implants and, and got pregnant with my daughter and they said I could breastfeed fine. So I had my daughter and I started to breastfeed and she ended up getting thrush. I got mastitis and thrush also. And so I had to wean her. So that was at week three. And, um, that wasn't the end of it. It actually was just the beginning because in the next 10 months, I got sicker and sicker and sicker. I had chills up and down my spine. I had achy, hot, burning joints from my hands down to my feet. My feet would burn like on fire. Um, I would kept pulling muscles. My, 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 my heart was beating really fast and I was really scratchy, like it's hard to explain, but it was felt like it was in my lungs. And so sometimes I would actually even have to beat my, beat my chest to try and itch, itch my lungs. Then I ended up developing this weird rash on my chest. And there was like, it was almost like something was coming out of my chest. So all these things were happening. I'm going to the doctor. My husband was in law school at the time. I have this little baby and I would cry. I would break down, break down crying. Please, you know, John, just watch the baby. I have to go to the doctor. I went to every doctor you can think of from a neurologist to a rheumatologist. I had, you know, the whole pinpricks in my nerves. I mean, I did every 
tests you can imagine. I did chest x-rays, MRI, nothing was coming up. But intuitively, the intuition, I knew there was something wrong with me. They kept giving me prescriptions for OxyContin. So at the time, OxyContin was like the new drug du jour, and that was going to be the answer to everything. And, you know, Sharon, I knew that there was something wrong. And that if I started taking these drugs, I was never going to find out if I even lived because I think, you know, it was going to go really south. Yeah. And so I did it, but I held on to the bottles. And um, finally, after the last doctor, and I have to tell you, I had doctors shame me. I had them, you know, pat me on my knee and say, whatever you think. And I did bring up my implants several times and they would say, oh, they're sailing. Sailing's just like the water, you know, the fluid in your body. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. So one night I had had enough and me and my husband were fighting so bad and he didn't understand it all. And he does feel bad about that now. I mean, it was a really hard time in our life. And we do talk about that in the book. Um, he was just not nice and wasn't helpful to me at all. Um, and, you know, he says now, of course, because he thought it really was in my head. Um, and so, but I, I had finally lost hope. It was weird. It was a feeling. I'll never forget it. Because I always had this like excitement for life and this, you know, zest for life and this, you know, I always, always had hope. That's why I think I tried to pinpoint what that feeling was that I lost. And mm. I think it was hope. I lost wow. hope in my, in my life. Wow. And I finally, I went to bed that night and I prayed to God and I said, God, every time I tell this story, by the way, I can start crying. Please forgive me for what I'm going to do. I know that my husband and my mother-in-law will take care of my baby, but I can't go on. And I was going to take all the bottles of OxyContin in the morning when John left for law school. Well, um, that night, I, speaking of spiritual things, um, had a dream. And this voice was as loud as anything I've ever heard in my life. And it said, your implants are making you sick. You need to get them out. And I mean, it was like a boom. And I woke up in the morning and I knew it. Like I knew it was God. Yeah. I knew it was God. And I rolled over to my husband and I told him what happened and about the dream. And he looked at me for the first time in, you know, 10 months. And he said, I believe you. I, I will second mortgage our home to get my wife back. I'd love to say that that's when things completely changed and he became an amazing husband and everything was right with the world, but it wasn't, um, you know, he definitely was not a very happy man. And it was a, a journey. I, I went on by myself. He wouldn't take me to the hospital. He didn't pick me up from the hospital. It was a whole thing there. And, and again, I'm still married to him. We've been married 25 years and uh, well, married 24 together, 26. And believe me, like he says, he pays for it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, he is such an amazing man now. And, um, and people have asked me before, like, wow, you really put yourself out there and really, you know, showed John in a different light in your book. And, um, you know, he wanted to do that. He thought it was really important to share that story because there are probably so many, which we found out since then every, we get so many emails 
that other couples are struggling with something like that. Maybe it's not breast implants, but maybe one of them is ill, you know, or something's going on. And, you know, that, yeah, if you're not acting really great, you need to change. You need to, you need to figure some things out for yourself. But anyway, I did end up calling um, my one friend who was a plastic surgeon in my spiritual meditation group. And oh my gosh. Yeah. I said, Susan, <laughs> Dr. Susan Kolb. I said, Susan, um, I need to come in. I need to figure out what's going on. I went in um, and she said, it sounds like your left implant is infected. Let's open you up, clean your implants back out and put some back in. Now, what you have to remember is when I got my implants done, they told me my implants were forever. Like the they were forever. Right, right. Well, little did I know that, you know, now they say 10 years, you replace them. So mm-hmm. she couldn't get me in. This was the bad part is she could not fit me in as much as she wanted to, uh, for at, it was like three and a half weeks. And at that point, Sharon, I could barely lift my head. I mean, I, oh I didn't know it at the time, but I had a systemic infection and a, a systemic fungal infection and a systemic bacterial infection. Mm. So I would slur my words. I would talk and I would, it was attacking my brain as as well as all my organs. Yeah. It was really bad. And I thought to myself, when we walked out, I thought I'm going to die. Like, uh, you know, I'm going to die. And do you know, she came running to the car just before we pulled away. And she said, somebody just canceled. Can you be here at seven 30 tomorrow morning? And I, I was there. I mean, you know, I had to, we had to jump through some hoops for some blood work or something. And I, I, I was there. Well, what she wasn't prepared for was when she opened me up, my implants were black. They were black and filled with a fungus. You could see them. And I, if you Google my name, Catherine Gordon and breast implants, um, my, a lot of my stories will come up. I did a lot of, I've done a lot of shows, a lot of documentaries, um, Montel Williams back in the day for those that remember him back then. Yeah, of course um, I do. MTV. Yeah, yeah I, I did. Um, but yeah, so she wasn't prepared for that. She videotaped it. And so she took the implants out and I had told her mm-hmm. when you take these implants out, do not put any back in. I was, I was done. That was before the surgery and before I even knew that the implants were black. Mm. So she did a sew me up. Um, I was really, really sick after that. It took about two months to, to get, because my, you know, fungal infection and all that, but yeah, thank gosh. Um, I feel like I am healthy today. I, you know, certainly have some little autoimmune things like the celiac, which I probably would have had anyway. Hmm. Um, you know, but they say if you have markers for different things and you have something very traumatic, it can trip it off. So, yes. um, yeah, it is what it is. Um, so yeah, yeah that's, uh, my, that's my implant story. Um, I, I just have to say that I, I think it's so important because, you know, this was time wise when, what year was this? This was, 20- yeah. Yeah. So this is the thing. And I, this was, uh, nobody knew about this back then. So, yeah. um, I got my implants in, in 1989, I got my implants out in 1999. And I'm telling you back then there, I mean, it's not that women weren't getting sick because they were, and there were groups and the internet was just coming. And I had joined in on a couple, couple groups. And very sadly, 
there was a woman that was actually in Atlanta. I was in Atlanta at the time uh, that I had connected with and she had had, um, you know, several kids and her last two kids, she had gotten silicone implants and um, breastfed them. But apparently the breath, the, the silicone had gotten Beached. into their kids mm. and her, both of her children were very, very sick. And she got to the point she was fighting and fighting and fighting. And she ended up jumping off the parking deck of the mall. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was awful. She'd just given up. She'd given up. So I was really lucky that that didn't happen with my daughter, Jade. She was fine. And I I don't have, I didn't have silicone. I had saline. Mm -hmm. Now the shell is silicone, which a lot of people don't know. It is silicone, but yeah. um, Yeah. Yeah. But I think the most important thing is, is that, you know, this happened many, many years ago, right? And you were very public about sharing your story. And I think that that was so heroic Mm -hmm. that after what you had gone through, that you were, had healed enough to be able to go in front of others and talk about it and share about it. But here we are in 2021. And I mean, it is still very much the same kind of an issue taboo. Well, Sharon, that's, that's the other thing. And I'm glad we opened this uh, talk on the spiritual part of it because I made a deal with God. Um, When I got my implants out, I just said to God, I prayed and I said, if you get me back to my previous health, you know, get me, get me healthy so that I can take care of my baby. I commit to sharing my story with whoever needs to hear it. And that has been a promise I have kept. Um, I used to get bombarded constantly for interviews and shows and things like that. It's definitely dwindled, which is fine because so many other women are now coming out. So there's like a whole new generation Yes. So, you know, and, and, and here's my thing. I'm not anti-breast implant. I love my breast implants. I love the way I looked in clothes with men's implants, but it's like anything else. You need to know the risks and yeah. pay attention to your body because your body knows and your intuition knows. Yes. So that would be my thing for sure. Yeah. 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 And I think I, I first of all, our intuition. It's so important to differentiate between intuition and fear, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and realize that, you know, fear usually makes a lot of sense. Intuition usually doesn't make a lot of sense. Right. <laughs> right. And you're, yeah, that's exactly true. Yeah. Yeah. But then the other thing too, is the fact that, you know, you were not you didn't have a whole camp around you, Mm-mm. right? Um, supporting you, which is is a shame and it's traumatic. That in and of itself is traumatic, right? Yeah. Um, but your your personality, your your feisty, fiery personality, I think, really <laughs> was part of um, part of God's gift. Thank goodness, really, absolutely, I. And believe me, even for me, when I had, when I'd lost hope, I, I just thought, you know, when people keep telling you you're crazy, you're postpartum, you know, when I started to lose hope and health, I just had gotten to the point where I thought, 
but then that little teeny tiny part of me, you know? So yes, I think definitely the fighter in me, um, is what kept me going for as long as I did for sure. And kept me going in a lot of other things. If you've read my book, you know, just, with I know I was just good. That's yeah. a perfect segue. I mean, that yeah. was one of the things that I just chuckled. I, I, I literally wrote on one of the pages, you are my spirit animal. Aww. I swear to God, because Thank like, you. I just love the fact that, you know, one of, in the very beginning of the book, you know, John had remarked about how fiery you were. Right. Yeah. And I think at one point you were telling this story that you went to a couples therapist. And so mm-hmm. for those of you who haven't read the book, you must read the book relationship grit, um, whether you are in a relationship or not. Right. Mm-hmm. It is it's- just, it's so so relatable. I've done my best relationship work when I was not in a relationship. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Read the book Yeah, and grit. I need to tell you this real quick before you tell the story. Grit is an acronym and it stands for G is for God. I think you have to bring God into your relationship, no matter what that looks like for you would be higher power. Um, resolve. You have to resolve to stick together. I mean, you know, people think the grass is always greener, but most of the time it's not, although there are exceptions, you know, yeah. of physical abuse and narcissistic behavior. Right. Exactly. I want to, yep. I wanted to make sure we throw in that caveat. And I love the fact coming from uh, the lens of being a therapist and mental health mm-hmm. professional and healer yep. that um, you say many, many times in the book yes. that, you know, please make sure that you're not misreading that mm-hmm. we're saying stay in right. and work through an abusive, toxic, unhealthy relationship. That's that is very what important. No. And that's why we did put that in several times because mm-hmm. I wanted to make that very clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're talking yeah, but- normal couple relational issues, not. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then the I is for invest, which is you need to invest in your relationship. You know, think about it. We normally invest in our coworkers or, you know, people outside of our relationship. And we kind of take our, our partner for granted. A lot of times I know I can be guilty of that as well. So investing and then T is for together. You got to do it together. You know, it takes two. It can't just be one person always wanting the relationship to work. So that's it about relationship grit. So I wanted to give you the acronym, but you were going to say something. Do you remember what you're going to say? Um, yeah. So you were, you went to the therapist and this was actually the second couples therapist that you had gone to, uh, in the book. And, um, the first one, the first one actually was a bonding, uh, experience for you because, she laughed at you and she you did. weren't saying something funny. No, Mm-mm. I don't remember Which, what it was, but she just cracked up. Like, like we were just stupid to be there. <laughs> like, yeah. Which I mean, ugh, um, just yuck. But, um, but then the next, the guy that it was a man and yep. he said, boy, you go from zero to 60 like that, just like or, that, you know, and <laughs> And I just thought, yeah, you know what? Like, I think that it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Um, but that is, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a nod to your fiery and feisty personality, which you had to have. I had to have growing up. 
You know, Mm -hmm. I grew up in an alcoholic family with a dad that was gone a lot traveling. And when he wasn't, it was very volatile in my home. I had two older brothers, one of them that used to beat the crap out of me on a regular basis. I lived in a neighborhood that was not, um, it, it was, so this is what I tell people because, you know, when I raised my daughter and she was bullied. So I grew up in a neighborhood where you fought. And I mean, I got to tell you, I fist fought up into high school and people, when I tell them now they go, what? (laughs) Yes. We literally fought. I'm not saying it's a good thing because it's not, I got to tell you what it did do. It just kind of, you know, it's kind of different with the, when when you're dealing with a lot of the catty emotional stuff, it's this long-term, let me tell you something, when you're in a neighborhood and it's more about that, it is a one and done. Like it's a one and done. So that was the one thing. Of course, it's not okay. But when my daughter was being bullied in middle school, my husband, you know, didn't come from the same background I did. And he was, you know, and of course he's also, you know, speaker, motivational positivities, feeding her all these, you know, things to do with this girl and da, 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 and nothing was working. And the last time my daughter went to this, it was a church group that she would go to after school. And these girls were so awful. And this one girl was bullying her all the time. And she would take her shoes and throw them in the lake and punch her in the stomach. She would punch her in the stomach. She would do all these things. And and it was over the holidays. And my daughter went uh, skating, roller skating. And all of a sudden she had a broken arm. And I knew this girl had pushed her down. So Fast forward, we come back from the holidays and my husband had done all this preaching about, you know, positivity, all this stuff. And I'm like, right. Okay, girl, now you're going to do it. The green runway. Come over here. I said, let me just tell you something. When she comes up to you, you are going to take that cast and you're going to knock her in the stomach as hard as you can. Do you understand me? And she was like, uh, so she goes, no, lo and behold, the girl comes at her again and she hit her. I know that's horrible to say, but she came home. And she goes, mom, I could see that it really like, like she was hurt and she, she didn't bother me. And do you know, that girl never bothered her for the rest of the year. So I know it's bad. It's pretty bad to tell you that, but you know, that was kind of how I grew up. Like, you know, it was right. like, it was kill or be killed, so to speak. Right. And um, so I've certainly had to learn how to be in a relationship because, you know, we don't talk about this too much in the book a little bit, maybe, but when we first started dating, when John would make me mad, I would fly across the room at him. Mm. I I had boys. I mean, I had brothers, right? So like I would get mad and, and he would just kind of be like, Whoa, whoa, whoa." you know, the poor guy had to fight him, you know, (laughs) fend off. And so, you know, it was one of those learning. So it was, it, it's a fiery personality. Yes. And I had to learn how to transmute that. If you want to say it like that into something that was not physical violence. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really appreciate the fact that you said that because I, I think that, you know, many people, especially when they grow up in a uh, toxic environment, challenging environment, or whatever it may be. Um, we, we, we make a choice of going left or right, I guess that's the best way to put it. Right. And so you can choose to allow your chaotic environment to give 
you the excuse to have bad behavior. Oh. Or you can learn the playing field that you're in and figure out how is the best way that I can achieve the goal, which ultimately is to not be in this constant tussle of this aggression, right? Yeah. And it, it can be challenging for us to discern, but I think it's also real, right? So we're here to talk about real, which is some of us have grown up in really, really tough neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Some of us have been in very traumatic upbringings Mm -hmm. and being passive doesn't always work. No. Aggressive doesn't always work, but there's a way of doing something to the, for effect so that you can kind of knock things off. Now, that being said, because of what I read and what I know of your relationship with John, especially in the beginning, you Mm -hmm. guys were you're you were triggering all of these unhealed aspects that were within everything right absolutely absolutely (laughs) i mean a a lot of things were triggered but i think that's what relationships are right it's two imperfect people and and how beautiful if you can get together and heal together Right. Does that make sense? And that's that's really the the biggest point that I kept saying, gosh, I really want to make sure we get to this point because what made it work is the fact that yes, was it terrible that, you know, like John even said that he was selfish. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Was it terrible that you might have gotten really aggressive? Mm-hmm. Um uh, y- yeah, it was in a sense, right? Everything's perfect in in, in its imperfections, but at the same time, it wasn't great. It wasn't ideal. It's not something you want to continue to repeat, but what made it work is the fact that you were willing to listen to the other individual and hear what they had to say at some point, maybe not right. As soon as they wanted to say it, but you held space, you created space and you said, I, I want to keep showing up. I want to be committed to this. I want to change. It's not, I want to be right. It's, I want to change. Mm -hmm. And that also goes right into the faith aspect because it's not about being the same person. You know, we all have that moment, right? Some people, it was high school where they were like the star football player or the, you know, cheerleader or whatever it might've been, or the actress or whatever it might be. And so they're just always looking to recreate that scenario, which means that they want, they don't want to change, right? Right. They just want to find that. Or in a way they're living in the past or in their comfort. Yeah. Yeah. And they're trying to create a hologram or an Mm -hmm. illusion of somebody and have this relationship with the illusion. And they get upset Mm -hmm. when that person doesn't live up to that illusion. Right. 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 Um, But really for you, what I noticed over and over and over and over again is that you had this level of humor and humility Mm -hmm. that you allowed into your relationship where you said, okay, I'm going to rely on the fact that there is so much that I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I'm willing to step forward into that space, even though it's uncomfortable as heck. And I have no idea 
Um, and between you placing yourselves in that situation and then also life placing you in those situations. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, your, your breast implant story is one piece there, you know, were others where, you know, he had lost his job and, you know, on and on and on, right. That you continue to rely on the faith of something bigger and greater than the two of you. And that, that is what you allowed to yourselves to lean into more than anything else which allowed you to change. I love what you said. It's funny you pulled that out of there because that's exactly right. Humor and humility. And it definitely has carried me and it's probably something I, I, I've used my whole life to get me through. But yeah, that's funny you pulled that out. Mm-hmm. Very true. Yeah. yeah. And maybe it's because I knew you. And so I could really, I mean, I even think, you know, and I, I'm so excited that everybody here is now going to read the book, right? You're going to get the yeah. book, everybody. Yay. But um, that, um, that now they get to know a little bit more of your personality um, because I, I, I could really hear your voice and I, I really got your personality when I was reading it um, a lot just from spending that time was, with you. That was the goal. Yeah. That was the goal. I wanted to just I wanted when people read, I wanted it to seem like I was sitting there telling them the story. So yeah. I'm glad that you, yeah. 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 And, yeah. That. and I don't, I, I haven't had the opportunity to really get to know John very much other than just, you know, by proxy of, of through you. Um, and I look forward to that, yes. but you know, he's such an incredible human being and doing mm-hmm. such incredible work um, now that really it was, is. Uh, God, I mean, I just, it, it gives me hope. It gives me hope. And I I love the fact that as a man, that he is really stepping forward in very assertive ways. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that all of this beginning aspect of your relationship and, and him finding his way was great, um, way to flex his metaphysical muscle, so to speak. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. To get to where he is now. Um, but I, I just think it's so incredible. And it was such a risk because he's really seen failure and had a lot of ups and downs in his financial career, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so absolutely. To publish a book like this mm-hmm. really could, people could read it the wrong way. So it's funny when we wrote the book, we sent a draft to his brother. And his brother said, do not publish this book, John, (laughs) you know, you do not look good in this light. And he was like, no, that people need to know that they can change. They need to know they can change. They need to know this is where we came from and this is where we are. And it's a beautiful journey. It's been a hard journey, Mm. but it's been worth it. And, um, yeah, so he, and, and so this is funny when I do encounter someone that's reading the book, uh, my blinds guy out in LA, he's like, I'm reading your book and I'm on, uh, cause each chapter is the GRIT. He's like, I'm on, I'm in chapter R and he goes, I don't really like John right now. And I'm like, <laughs> keep reading, just keep reading, you know, because I think by the end you're going to see, you know, he, he turned it around. He did. And I mean, we have our days. I mean, he's still, oh my gosh. I mean, he's, he's a great human being and yeah, he probably, he has to tolerate me. (laughs) (laughs) The 
wild one. So no, it's, it's all good, but you know what? Um, you can transform your relationship. You can. And that's, that's, we're here to tell you that, you know, yes. you, you want it to work. It can again, as I said before, as long as there's not those other things that are involved, you know, the abuse and. Right. If it's, if it's unhealthy and if it's really taking away and unhealthy can be for emotionally, physically, spiritually. Um, I mean, any of the pillars of health, right. Right. Um, we really have the opportunity to take a hard look at it. And if there isn't the change, then it's definitely something that we can create a choice for ourselves. Um, and just as a real, you know, uh, quick little uh, insert here, um, I will put down in the notes, uh, domestic violence hotline and, you know, That's some in- resources just so that if people are like, wow, uh, it's just kind of hitting them, you mm-hmm. know, the difference and the differentiation. There are there are resources and there are places that you can go for help. And that it I also want to acknowledge the fact that especially if you're in a um physically threatening environment, yes, that you have to take your time mm-hmm. extracting yourself from there. So um again, listen to your own intuition and surround yourself with a team of people who that can support you. And who aren't just hounding you to leave that person, but really a, a, someone who is going to trust you to uh, f- find your own way safely out of a situation. Because it, it's mm-hmm. it's um, sometimes exiting a relationship is more dangerous than staying in the relationship. So we just mm-hmm. have to be mindful of that as well. Um, so I just wanted to insert that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the interesting thing, too, that I pulled out of you know, a lot of what we've shared and what we've talked about in your book and just in general with, you know, some of what you've shared of your personal life um, is something that's very similar to what I think a lot of people have experienced in different levels of acculturation, right? Which is this survival. We've we're having to survive through situations, right? Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. even your daughter had to survive dealing with the bully for however long she was, you know? Right. Um, you were at one point really surviving your relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we as a collective now are surviving. Some of us are surviving situations and circumstances. And yet I really truly believe that even when we are in a a season of having to survive something that we can really, like you said, transmute it Mm -hmm. into thriving Mm -hmm. to really thrive. Right. Absolutely. So I wanted to get your take on that. I always love the fact that everybody has a different take on it and a different perspective. I'd love to know yours on the idea of surviving and you know, what you think is going on in the world or just in general surviving today or just in general and whatever yeah. you want. Okay. Well, I mean, um, well, we probably don't want to go into today. Maybe we will, but, um, you know, I feel I'll, I'll, I'll make it personal. I feel now that everything that I went through 
in my life. And we didn't even talk about the guy that I lived with. I moved out of my parents' house at, I just turned 17. My dad tried to strangle me. That's a whole long story. And I moved in with my drug dealing, cocaine dealing boyfriend. And um, he was also abusive and, you know, dealt with all that. So it was, you know, dealing with him. I dated him for five years, left him, you know, moved to Nashville. It's like all these things that you go through. I look back now and they are who they made me who I am. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for, for them. I mean, definitely there's some things I wish were different, but you know, it's, you got to look forward. You can't look back and you can't be a victim. You know, you have that victim mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's not going to serve you. So Mm -hmm. what are you going to do with the cards you're dealt? And that's, Mm -hmm. that's really how I've looked at things. Now it's a very interesting thing because I grew up with two brothers and we all had the same childhood. And maybe in some ways I had a little bit different as I was the girl or, you know, but pretty much we lived the same life, but they all, they both interpret it differently. So it's, it's interesting that the whole nature nurture thing, right? Nature. Yes. Well, you know, what's really interesting is I don't know if you know, Sir Michael Mead, um, he's an incredible, um, uh, spiritualist and, uh, he has his own podcast too. Um, so one of the things that he says, and I love, 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 love this. And he has, he has a talk specifically on sibling relationships with the parents. And, you know, he talks about it from a spiritual perspective. And what he says is that we are all souls that come here for our own unique journey, right? So even though your siblings are biologically your siblings, but from a spiritual perspective, we're, we're all siblings, right? So, um, and so your, your brother you know, both of your brothers and then yourself and whatever, you knew that this is who you needed to have as parents to help you with your own unique soul growth, which also in turn, you know, the wise one that knows, knows that, you know, everybody has their own energetic fingerprint. So you and I are going to have a different kind of relationship and chemistry than me and another person, right? Right, right. Um, The constant is me, but the variable is the other individual, right? So you're of course going to have a different relationship with your parents. Just because your parents are the same people, you're all different, right? Right, right. That doesn't mean that you're good or bad. It just means that you are, right? But the interesting piece is that part of this journey that we all are on is this journey of we're here for is for independence and interdependence, right? But something, a funny thing happens along the way in our lifespan development that really creates codependence. It creates dependence. It creates all of these other things, right? And so part of what happens is, is there this, is this kind of wounding that occurs between the parent and the child. And as Sir Michael Mead says, the wound becomes the womb that births you into your real purpose. Wow. Okay. That's beautiful. Isn't it beautiful? That's that's beautiful and true. Yeah, it's true. All right. I'm going to have to check him out. Dr. Michael Mead. Sir Sir Michael Mead. Yeah. Sir Michael Mead. He's got an incredible story and I don't want to take up too much. Is he the doctor that 
came out with the whole, the, he did this whole thing on ADD. No, Okay. no, he, um, he has an incredible story. And I think you're going to really, really, he's very spiritual. Uh, I think that you and John, if John doesn't know him, I think you'll both really enjoy listening to his podcast. He's got a wonderful voice and, and the whole thing, but anyhow, I guess that the point is, is that, you know, I had a very different relationship with my parents than my siblings. Right. So, um, and you know, we can really feel shame, um, over it if we compare ourselves, um, and say, well, they were never really that hard on so-and-so or whatever, the same exact event can occur. And I'll have a much different recollection of what happened yep, all the time. than anyone yeah. else. Right. And we get so caught up in this external validation that we then start to think that if somebody else outside of us doesn't agree with or see things or remember things the same way that we did, that we then have to cancel out our experience, right? Because if somebody else doesn't validate it, then that means it didn't happen, right? Right. Um, And especially when we're dealing with like, you know, families like with addiction or alcoholism or, you know, whatever it might be, that's all part of it, right? Is denying somebody else's experience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? We have all that in my family. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, um, so I just think it's really interesting that if we can really understand, um, that in every single situation like you, I mean, that's one of the things that I, 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 like I said, I can't say it enough. I really admire about you is that you really don't look at it from the perspective of a victim mm-hmm. and it is so easy to be a victim. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Poor me. Yeah. Poor me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's not, that's not gonna, that's not gonna help you. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't awareness helps, um, assessment. I mean, there's nothing wrong with mourning that, right. but you do it and then you move on. I believe. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Because you, you're whole. Uh-huh. It's you and you can make yourself whole and you can create your own homeless. And I think that that's probably what I noticed in your book is that you, as much as you had your things that were unhealed and whatever, like you were very comfortable, you know, kind of holding your own space around you. You had this kind of like hula hoop around you, you know, of just like, this is me, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And it just seemed like John was always like, well, when are you going to let me in there? Like, how can I get in there? You know, yeah, <laughs> He's yeah, like yeah, trying yeah. to dive in and go underneath and whatever. And you're just like, it's mine. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's a, that you're, you're giving me some good, good things to think about, like good visualizations. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So, so that is exactly right. And what John says, so there can be extreme chaos all around me. There can be, I mean, all kinds of things. And I can just drop in mm-hmm. and I can be just completely oblivious. Yeah. Well, where does that come from? I grew up in an alcoholic home that was yeah. very violent. And it was very unsettling to me from an early age mm-hmm. to witness that. And I learned how to pacify myself or how to make myself feel safe. So Mm -hmm. it comes from that. 
but it is interesting. John's like, wow. I mean, you can just like, and okay. So there's that. Now I could say that I could say that, that those things happen to me. And then that's why I have to do what I do. And I could use that negatively. And it could be a negative thing that I do that I check out. Mm. Well, no, I don't look at it like that because it also served me. I can tell you that in an emergency situation, in a crisis, something happens where I can drop in and I can see things and I get really uber focused and I can act. So that's a benefit. That yeah. is a benefit from the trauma that I experienced growing yes. up. Yeah. So there, there's always a gift in it if you look for it and yeah. you use it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm definitely no stranger to trauma either. And I would, I think I was probably more in that way as well, where I would just kind of like go into this, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, I think I was eight or around eight years old and I got a, um, a guided meditation for out, out of body experiences. When I was eight years old. Okay. That's amazing. And I would lay on the wood floor in front of those big, you know, the speakers, like the bigger, the better. And, you know, I forget it was like the uh, seventies, I guess. Right. And I would lay in front of the speaker and the music was, I would just put it on so loud. And I would just like follow those meditations because again, it was the same thing of just closing out the chaos. Yeah. And I was so I am a highly sensitive person, right? HSP. So I felt everybody's energy and I didn't Mm. know how to manage it at that time and whatever. So it was a great way for me to, as we know now, regulate my nervous system. Yes. Yes. I get it. So that was your way of not just disassociating, but also you were, you were using that time to center yourself Mm-hmm. so that you could then reintegrate yourself back in again. So I think that's important too for everybody who's listening, our community to understand because we're here, we're all here. Um, and listen, if we're breathing and we're here, we've all experienced trauma at this point. Right? Exactly. <laughs> that's it. That is so true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Um, but I, I think it's important for people to know that they're there are definitely coping skills are fantastic, right? Uh, we get to flex the muscle, but we don't want to be a victim of it. We don't right. want it to be to the point where we have no free will over it, right? Where it's actually uh, decompensating our relationships with ourselves and deteriorating relationships with um, the world around us and how we see ourselves and that we're really not living in reality. So um, there's a big difference and that's where, you know, your strength was just, um, you know, from as early back as you've shared, like you've just been very strong that way. And, uh, that wasn't something necessarily that, you know, we can thank the trauma for, but I really think it's just who, who, who you intrinsically are as well. Yeah. Oh, and I'm, I'm sure that, that, that has a lot to do with it too. My my personality and how, what I was born into, but I did want to just throw out also, you know, I did do a lot of work on myself in my twenties with a therapist and I highly recommend it. It it changed my life and it changed my perspective. 
um, and really catapulted me into a whole, you know, wonderful uh, path in my life. So, you know, I'm a big proponent of therapy um, and getting into those groups. Again, I'm so grateful. You know, I still search for that group. Um, matter of fact, Sharon, you and I would be in that group together if we were, you know, in the same town, because there is something about getting together physically that yes. I think is, you know, so special. Um, but I have yet to find, I, having met this one, a Christian astrologer and his wife, I think they might be close to that, but it's so neat to be able to get together with people and work on, on, because there's always stuff to work on. I mean, you know, I'm 54, but look, here's something I'm just gonna throw it out there. You know, I didn't drink and I didn't drink because I was a huge, and I kind of shared a little bit about this with you. Um, but you know, I, um, I was a big partier, you know, I remember I moved in with my cocaine dealer boyfriend mm-hmm. and, you know, did all that and, and big drinker and checked myself into a rehab when I was in Nashville, Tennessee at 22 Hmm. stayed sober, met my husband, had my children 12 years, 13 years, moved down to this little neighborhood in Florida. And I was like, well, it's not like I'm going to go get a bag of Coke or take some X, you know, I'm just going to drink this wine with these lovely ladies that live on my block. Right. Because it's glamorous. So, you know, I've kind of, on and off again with drinking. Um, I know it would serve me to not drink alcohol from a productive place and from a health perspective. Um, so it is something my husband would love it if I didn't drink. It's so funny when I'll say, oh, well, you know, John Gordon's coming. I can't drink. I call him John Gordon, by the way. Yeah. And they're like, my girlfriends would be like, well, that's who he married. I go, oh, but no, it's not. <laughs> it's not who he married. I didn't drink when I met him. So that is something I'm, I ended up. Okay. So, and I always voice this, like, I'll tell people, like, I know, you know, I've had a love hate thing with alcohol. I'm not, a, I don't drink every night. I don't drink all the time. Um, I would probably say I'm more of a binge drinker if I do it. Like, you know, I may not drink for a while and then uh, go out with girlfriends and those champagnes flowing and then I drink, but I will drink too much, meaning it makes Mm. me sick for like the next five days. Mm. So I ended up um, listening to this book on tape called The Naked Mind. Have you heard of it? No. Mind blown. It blew my mind and it blew my mind because, um, while I was in AA, um, early in my life and very, very grateful for AA and the people in AA, I did get to a point for me, um, where I just got, I didn't want to keep hearing about all the bad stuff in the meetings. It just got, it just got to be too much. And, um, it's very heavy. Yeah. And so, but wow, I found this and I found it because my doctor, my son's doctor recommended it for him because he's going back to college and, um, you know, he's like, well, I'm going to drink. And she's like, why? You know? And he's like, well, just cause that's what we do. Why? And so I ended up downloading the book. It has absolutely been life-changing. 
I didn't even download it thinking, well, I'm, you know, I don't want to, it just, you start listening to these things and it kind of took it away. Does that mean I'm never going to drink again? I don't really know, but it's so it's, it is, it is the one thing that I, I struggle with right now that causes Mm. me guilt and Mm. shame Mm. and affects me mentally, physically, and spiritually. Mm. So that's the truth. Mm -hmm. So, so I I don't have all my issues solved. (laughs) It's basically what I'm telling you. (laughs) And I so appreciate you sharing that because I think that that's one of the things that I love about you is that a self-care is okay. Number one, but you don't live a filtered life. Mm-mm. No, no. <laughs> He's got, you're saying all the, those are the, all the keywords. Yeah. I, I don't have a filter. <laughs> yeah. So much so that sometimes my husband will take me to an event. And before we walk in, he goes, now, honey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but that's one of the things that I love about and, you. Yeah, and that's what my friends say about me. So thank you. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes, totally. But I, you know, and that's the thing too that I, I would say that you and John are very similar about too, because looking at what he shares, it's also very unfiltered, mm-hmm. right? What you share in the book is very unfiltered. Um, you know, it, it's just. So I appreciate you sharing that because I, I was just having this conversation with a client before we started our podcast. And, you know, one of the things is that, and I, and I, even I I've done some public speaking this week too. And, you know, we talk a lot about trauma and healing, right. In my spaces and in, in my circles. And so I was this featured speaker. And so I'm talking about it and somebody said something along the lines of, yeah, you know, something about healing being finite, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, once you've healed, you know, life is so much better. And I thought I wanted to almost kind of tackle it in the sense of like, yes, because I've been on a healing journey. You've been on a healing journey for years, right? Years and years and years and years. Um, and it's, things, life is great. It's sometimes you just want to bite the air. It's so good, right? It's just so good, but we're not done. Hmm. You know, healing is not crossing a finish line. Healing isn't, you know, oh, well, I did that once and now I won't ever have to reach in and have to work through that again. Hmm. Healing is about the daily work and application of like you said, keeping the markers low, mm-hmm. right? So this is the age old analogy. And I did go to graduate school to be a psychotherapist. So I admire you for continuing because I couldn't do it. I thought I loved it until I started um, counseling in downtown Atlanta in a Baptist mental health hospital. And I'm like, oh, this is heavy. Um, so I quit. So I didn't know that about you, by the way. So that's cool. uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but yeah, it's the al- analogy of the onion, right? And you're right. always peeling away more layers and, yes. you know, things just come up at different times in your life when you, 
get married, you might come up with issues when you, you know, have your first baby, you, you might, you know, I mean, in different stages, bring up different issues or traumas and then you deal with them. Right. So right. yeah, it's a you, lifelong, but live your life and, and, and don't be a victim. Right. Yes. 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 Be for me. And I, I, I say this a lot. So you've probably heard it. And I know if anybody else has watched my podcast that I've said this a lot, we are here and we will all be much better for it. If we live in a way where we are safe, regulated presence, that doesn't mean keep things real small and quiet. But the more that we can be that safe, regulated presence, the more we can be aware of when something is stirring inside of us that we're not comfortable with, or maybe an uncomfortable feeling or pain or whatever it might be. And we can say in that moment, if it's not the right time to unpack it, you can say, I'm going to bookmark that and come back to it because I love myself enough to know that I am constantly looking to heal and grow, right? And I am going to make sure that if there's something in there, I'm going to address it, right? But if we think that, well, oh, I've healed, right? Oh, I went through my healing journey when I was 22. I went to see a therapist. I'm good now, right? Then we're we're going to find ways to numb and squash and deny and elude and all of that. For the rest of our lives, right? I got to tell you, I just got to tell you this because it's so funny. Isn't it funny? Those people, I'm going to say those people. So I play tennis and there's a girl, she'll never hear your podcast because she doesn't believe in self-help and she doesn't need help. And um, she's batshit crazy. Excuse me, guys. I mean, she really is like, she's known in the tennis realm for this. And so we were doing a foursome, but she's a great tennis player. So people still invite her to play tennis. Mm-hmm. So I, if I, you know, someone puts a group together, I'll normally bring one of John's books, you know, at the time I didn't have mine out and, you know, just, you know, whatever his newest book is. And everybody, of course, is very grateful. Well, I show up this time and I go to hand her the book and she goes, oh, no, no, no. I, I, I don't read self-help. I don't need self-help. Yeah. I don't, there's nothing wrong. You know, like it's funny. Those are the people. So that's a big red flag. If someone's telling you they don't need help ever, (laughs) we all need help. We all need help. We all need help. And we're all here for connection, right? So what she's telling you is that she's not really safe. Ooh, we're all here for connection. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So if we're all here for connection and the way that we connect is through our, in part, our energy and our nervous systems. Right. So I want to connect with people who are fun and happy and, and high vibe and all of that, but regulated, Mm -hmm. know how to keep themselves out of that, like triggered, you know, survival Mm-hmm. you know, where we're not using the front part of our brain mode. Right. 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 So, um, it, yeah, I, I, I like deeper into more intimate kinds of conversations in order to be able to be intimate. You need to feel comfortable enough with allowing people to see into you. Mm-hmm. 
right? So into me see, right? Mm-hmm. Intimacy into me see, right? Wow. So, um, so yeah. So basically that woman's saying, oh yeah, no. And by the way, all of the blinds are closed and the front door is locked, you know? <laughs> right. And that's about right. Yeah. Cannot see into this house, you know? So, um, yeah, but you know what? I am just so grateful that you came today and this time has flown by. I know. Thank you so much for having me. This has uh, been so fun, Sharon. Yes, it really has. Well, you're going to have you on my podcast and we can continue some more of this talk. Yeah. Well, I look forward to it for sure. I can't wait for your first episode to drop. Well, um, okay. And that's what I've been working on. There's a whole behind the scenes thing. I'm going to get it. I was supposed to interview my husband again tonight because that was going to be one of my first releases and the, the audio didn't come out. So we got to do it again, but I'm, I'll, I'll do them tomorrow. I'll I'll be, I'll have more energy, but I did want to just tell your listeners, um, with the book Relationship Grit, you can get a free action plan. If you go to relationshipgritbook.com. And it's a great little action plan. You can sit with your partner. Some of the things are, you know, on a scale of one to 10, how do I communicate and what would make it a 10? You know, mm. some, some action plans. Yeah. And you can uh, reach me or, or, or find me at, at Catherine Gordon on Instagram. I just got my website up, catherineforreal.com. I love um, it. Yeah. So email is right now is Catherine.gordon at Comcast.net. Yep. I love it. And I cannot wait to see and hear more of you in your podcast. People are going to love, love, love your discussions. And, um, and I can't wait to hear your conversation with John because, uh, I've just really grown to, to love his mind and love mm-hmm. your connection and your chemistry together and, um, and all that you share and, uh, and in the way that you just guide us to really be faithful mm-hmm. and to, 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 of course, always focus on yourself, but look outside yourself to help right. to serve the other, right. To and serve. and to, to serve. serve. So yep. it's, I I'm, I'm just so excited that just incredible things are coming uh, and, uh, and you're delivering for sure. So, so, thank so, so you, grateful. Sharon. Thank yeah. You so thank much. You. Yes. All right. Once again, thank you so much. Thank you everybody for tuning in today. And until the next time, peace, love. Mm-hmm. Take care. And, all right.